Good morning. Uh, we are continuing our journey through the book of Romans. You can go ahead and open to Romans chapter 4. That's where we're going to spend our time today. You can uh, find that and just hold your place there for a moment. We'll read our, our passage in a little bit. Um, one of the very first things I ever really remember learning about preaching uh, is this idea that every message, every sermon, you know, while they can be structured and formatted in all sorts of different ways, uh, each of them needs to have at least three things present all the time, no matter what. And the first one is an explanation, the second one is an illustration, and the third one is an application. Now, I'm sure that there are plenty of people in the world who would disagree with me about that. That's fine. I'm just telling you, this is what I remember being taught. It's always stuck with me. And one of the reasons that it stuck with me is because we can think of these three things as just answering three questions. They'll be on the screen. So what does it mean? You know, a passage, a text, a story. Let me explain it to you. That's the explanation. What does it look like? Okay. Let me illustrate it for you. Let me show you. And then what do I do with it? Well, this is how you apply it to your life. This is the application. Uh, Now, they can be done differently. You can you know, talk more about one than the other. You can put them in all sorts of different orders depending on what you want to emphasize and what the passage or topic or series you're even in uh, looks like. But in one way or another, these three things need to be present. And the reason that I'm sharing that with you today before we really do anything is because when I was uh, preparing for this message, when I was reading Romans 4 and studying it, I saw a lot of really great things in this chapter. Uh, But at the same time, it was hard for me to really nail down um, just what it was that I wanted to draw out uh, from this text, just what what I wanted to share with you in a meaningful and an impactful way. And the more I read it, and the more I read about it, the more I really felt like Romans 3 acted as an explanation uh, where Paul drives home this point that no one is righteous with God, uh, that no one on their own uh, can stand before God and be declared righteous. And then when you get into Romans 4, you see kind of an illustration that he gives of the reality of God's grace and how God's grace works in spite of that. Um, If you weren't at church last weekend, that's okay. Uh, If you missed it, I can sum up Romans chapter three uh, for you uh, in just four words. Uh, No one is good. No one is good. You missed the feel-good message of the summer, for sure, if you weren't here last week. That was the big takeaway that we needed to carry home with us. Uh, We asked this question, or we we looked at this question last week, you know, what right do you have to come into heaven? And we said that, you know, there are maybe three possible answers that a person could give, and you could stand before God, and you could say, well, I've I've been good enough, I've done enough, I've I've crossed all my T's, I've dotted all my I's, you know, I've earned the right to get into heaven. Then we talked about Galatians 2, verse 16, where it says, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. And then here it is, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. You can't do it. You can't stand and say, I've been good enough. You can't say, I've done enough. Okay, another possible answer that we talked about was kind of like a non-answer. I don't have an answer. I don't have anything to say. There's nothing that I can say. And we looked at Romans 3, verse 19, where it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. 
You see, because of our sin, because of our sinful hearts, our sinful natures, no one will be able to say anything in their defense in the face of God's judgment because no one's gonna be able to offer up any, uh, anything good, any, anything righteous as proof that they belong in heaven and so not gonna be able to say anything at all. Finally, the third answer, I put my faith and trust in Jesus. I put my faith and trust in Jesus. And we looked at these familiar words from Romans 3. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. Paul is explaining to the church in Rome the fact that no one is right with God initially. And none of us can ever reach the point of being right with God on our own. And because of that, only Jesus can save us from our sins. Only Jesus can make us right with God. And after he explains all of this in Romans 3, Paul moves into Romans 4 and he gives his readers an illustration of what this looks like. Um, And it's a significant illustration because for all of the people in the history of Israel and all the different ways you could have talked about this, you know, the two people that he points to uh, are are two, they're, they're basically the two best people he could have talked about. And you'll see that in just a moment. Because he shows them, he shows these people in Rome, the church in Rome, that God has always worked this way. God has always worked by faith. God has always worked by grace, even if they didn't realize it. And this is what you and I are going to focus on in our time together today. So you think last week we saw the explanation. This week we're going to look at an illustration. And after that, we're going to see some applications for our own lives. This is a a very by the numbers, you could call it that way, a very by the numbers message today, at least from a structural standpoint. But I really believe in the power and the significance of what we're going to be studying. So uh, let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, After that brief review from last week, as we do each week, uh, I would ask you if you're able to please stand with me for the reading of God's word. I'm going to read Romans 4, verses 1 through 8 from the New Living Translation. You can follow along uh, on your own Bibles or on the screen behind me. Uh, Romans 4, starting in verse 1. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who were declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. You may be seated, and we always, always ask for God to bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Uh, I believe something that happens to all of us, something that happens to every single one of us uh, at multiple points in our lives is that we have this kind of light bulb moment, this kind of revelation moment, you know, whatever you want to call it, where we realize what we thought we knew doesn't actually line up with the reality of the way things are. And 
here's the deal. This can be something, you know, very big. It can be something uh, almost monumental, you know, life-changing, earth-shattering. It can also be something really small. I think about the way that, you know, a, a good, a clever story is told, you know, where, where you think you know what's happening, you think you know what's going on, you think you have it all figured out, and then there's a surprise, there's a twist, there's a moment where everything you thought you knew changes. Last week, uh, my wife and I uh, watched the movie The Sixth Sense for the first time in years, in years. Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever, have you ever heard of that movie? It came out a little while ago. I'm going to try not to spoil anything, uh, even though it did come out in 1999. So if you've kind of like had it on your backlog to get to, you might want to go ahead and pull the trigger on that one. But it was a movie that, you know, came out and it was, it was a really big deal because no one really knew what to expect, you know? It wasn't part of a franchise. It wasn't a sequel to something popular. It wasn't based on a comic book. You know, it wasn't this big action movie. At the time, it was made by a director that no one had heard of. Nobody really knew anything about him. But as suspenseful and even as scary as the movie can be at times, there's a point where something happens and you realize, okay, now I get it. Now I understand what's happening. Now I know what's going on. And then as you go further into the movie, there's something else that happens and you realize you only thought you knew what was going on. And I'll tell you right now, if you're here today and you say, oh, I saw it the whole time. I knew it. I knew it all the way. Nothing ever got past me. I just want to remind you that there will be prayer counselors down front because lying is a sin. (laughs) Lying is a sin. But here's the deal. This idea of thinking that we know how things work, thinking that we know... Um, how things are going to be, you know, like I said, this is a reality that we all deal with, you know, in our lives. How many of you just knew, you knew what it was going to be like to grow up? You knew how much freedom you were going to have when your parents weren't telling you what to do, when you didn't have to go to school all the time. You knew how much money you were going to have. You knew all of these things that were going to be, you know, a certain way when you finally got to become an adult and you could be your own person. How's that working out for you? How many of you knew what marriage was going to be like? How many of you knew what raising kids was going to be like? And here's the deal. I'm not saying any of these things to be negative. I'm not trying to cast a shadow over any of this. I'm just talking about them because they're great examples of these pictures that we all have in our minds where we think, this is what it's going to be like. I know what it's going to be like. And then at some point, probably multiple times, reality kind of sets in. And okay, This isn't going exactly the way that I thought it would. I have to adjust my plan. I have to adjust my expectations a little bit. How many of you knew what it was going to be like to follow Jesus day in and day out? What that meant for your life, what that was going to impact, how that was going to change you. This is just something that we all have to, to, to reckon with at different times. Well, the reason that I'm talking about this and the reason that I want you to think about this for just a moment today is because I really believe that what Paul does in Romans 4 is basically take what the Jewish people thought they knew about righteousness, what they had been taught about righteousness. And when I I say righteousness, I just mean being right with God, having a right relationship with God. He's taking everything they thought they knew about that and turning it on its head. You know, Obviously, we're not the only people to ever say this, but we do try to say it time and time again. You know, the gospel, it changes everything, and it changes what we do, it changes what we say, it changes what we think we know with certainty. 
In the passage that we just read in Romans 4, verses 1 through 8, we see Paul mention two prominent figures from the history of Israel. Two, two illustrations. Really, he, I mean, he mentions two. We really just focus on one, but he mentions two important people. And they're basically the best two people that he could have talked about when it comes to turning the expectations of the Jewish people on their heads. The first one is Abraham. He's the one that we're going to focus on almost exclusively today. But the second one that he also mentions is David. You know, last week we talked about that question, what right do you have to enter into heaven? Uh, But, you know, it's not all doom and gloom uh, because Paul talks about the fact that even though no one is made right with God by following the law, he also talks about this righteousness that comes apart from the law, this righteousness that we can experience through our faith in Jesus. But he doesn't just end there because then he moves into this chapter where we are today and he points to two examples from Israel's past to illustrate that this has always been the way God worked. And of course, you know, like I said, he doesn't just pick anybody, he picks Abraham and David. Abraham is the father of the Jewish people. The nation of Israel first began to take shape when God promised Abraham that he would have descendants and he, was ma- he would make his descendants into a great nation. And then David... King David, the greatest earthly king that Israel ever had. When he was king of the nation of Israel, it it was at its peak in the Old Testament. Like I said, Paul focuses almost completely on Abraham, and so that's what we're going to do as well. But basically what he's telling his audience, what he's telling his audience in Rome is that even these men, even these great men that you know so about, that you admire, that you aspire to be like, even these people chosen by God and blessed by God were only made right by the sheer grace of God. That's it. And the truth is for us reading about this today, there's really just not a way for us to to truly comprehend the weight or the magnitude of that statement. I mean, they thought they knew what it meant to be right with God. This is why in in Matthew chapter three, we we read these words from John the Baptist. He says, or we read, but when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. And then he says this, don't just say to each other, we're safe for we're descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. You see, being a descendant of Abraham, being in the line, that the heritage of Abraham, that was where they put all of their weight. That was where they put all of their trust. The Jewish people looked to Abraham as proof that they were blessed, that they were right with God just because of him. And Paul in Romans is teaching these believers, reminding some of them probably, that it's not Abraham that they should look to. It's not their heritage or their family name that they should try to present to God. It's their faith in Jesus. It's their faith in God, their trust in God. And he goes on to give a great illustration from the Old Testament. So uh, if you're taking notes, if you like to take notes, I just have two points today, two points today, very simple, like I said, by the numbers. Uh, Number one, you can write this down if you want, an illustration of faith. An illustration of faith. You know, those those questions, uh, you know, what does it mean? What does it look like? What do I do with it? What does it look like? What does faith look like? Well, we point to Abraham. 
Uh, and one of the commentaries that I have on Romans, I was reading this in preparation for uh, this weekend's message. It says, Paul stated three facts about Abraham's salvation that prove that the patriarch's spiritual experience was like that of believers today. I mean, that's a huge statement. That's a huge statement. Number one, he was justified by faith, not works. Number two, he was justified by grace, not law. Number three, he was justified by resurrection power, not human effort. Not human effort. And since Abraham is a great illustration of faith, since Paul uses him as an illustration of faith, I just want to spend a few minutes talking to you a little bit about faith. A little bit about faith. Listen again to uh, just part of the passage that we read a moment ago. This is Romans 4, verses 2 through 4. If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. You see, just like last week, we kind of talked about the reality that there's only so many ways you can answer that question what right do you have to get into heaven? What right uh, should I let you into heaven for? Uh, today, I also think there's only so many ways that we can answer this question. Well, how was Abraham justified? How was Abraham made right with God? You know, how was Abraham saved? And the answer for him is the same for us, by faith, by faith. So again, let's just talk about this. What is faith? You know, what does Abraham show us about faith? Well, a couple things. A couple things that faith is not. Uh, faith is not just believing really, really hard. And here's the deal. I, I wanted to talk about this just, just quickly because I know that a reality for a lot of people, uh, a lot of believers, a lot of Christians is that, you know, we have a faith in God, we trust God, but then when something happens or we want something to happen and it's not going the way that we want it to or it's not happening the way that we thought it would, we think, well, maybe I'm not just, I'm just not believing enough. I don't have enough faith. But there's two things that we need to remember. One, what's the most familiar illustration about faith? Faith the size of a what? A mustard seed. Some of you know it. That's okay. Faith the size of a mustard seed. Okay? The other thing when it comes to this reality is that it's not so much, and I want, I want to make sure you understand this, it's not so much how much faith you have, but where you put your faith. It's not so much how much you believe, but what you believe, or who you believe. I mean, have you, any of you ever when it comes to maybe getting a promotion at work or maybe, you know, before a sports event or, or before anything, something like that in your life, and you think, I believe, I just believe, I know it's gonna happen. I can feel it in my bones, and then it doesn't. It doesn't matter how, how much you believe it. It doesn't matter how, how, how much you wanted it. So much of the time, it comes down to where we put our faith, not the amount of faith that we have. You know, I mean, the, the Bible is full of people who, who, you know, really, really believe in God, know a lot about God, but at the same time, we know they're so far from God because that's not where their faith is. Another thing is that faith is not just trying really, really hard either. 
faith is not just trying really, really hard either. And this is one of those things that so many people in the church know in their heads, but they don't always live out in their hearts because we think, you know, well, how do I know that I'm a Christian? How do, how do you know that someone's a Christian? Well, you just tick off the things off the list. You know, well, they go to church on Sunday. They read their Bible. They pray. You know, they try. They try to do what's right. They try not to do what's wrong. And you know what? They try really, really hard. And this is difficult for us to wrestle with because... You know, that makes sense because, because we know that there's so much that we're, we're, we're called to do. You know, there, there's a way of life that we're called to, to live and aspire to be like. And, and we like to be able to say, you know, I'm doing my best. I'm doing all that I can. But then we see these words from the prophet Isaiah when he says, when we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. You see, we can't look at Abraham and say, well, he must have just lived a good enough life or, or he believed hard enough and that's why God chose him. I mean, he was chosen by God. After all, he was blessed by God. But if that were the case, then, you know, to borrow the language from our passage, then he would have something to boast in and that's not what we see. That's not the case with Abraham. Abraham was not righteous. He was not blameless. He was not perfect. So how do we reconcile this? How do we reconcile this? Well, we reconcile it by the grace of God. Literally, by the grace of God. I don't mean that in any sort of casual or dismissive or Sunday school answer kind of way. A few weeks ago when we started this series... I had the opportunity to kind of kick things off. And one of the things I talked about was one of my favorite statements that, that I'd heard and read before. And it was just this reality uh, that we, we can't treat the good news of God like it's just good advice from God. And this is because good news means something has been done for you and good advice means that I've got something for you to do. I mean, think about it like this, just real simple, real straightforward. Imagine you leave church today, you go out into the commons and someone comes up to you and says... I've got good news, you just won a million dollars, okay? Now imagine you go out into the comments and someone comes up to you and says, hey, do you want a million dollars? Have I got some advice for you? Which one are you gonna wanna hear? Which one, I mean, I don't know, you're probably gonna wanna at least listen to the other guy, but I know which one I would be more excited to hear. Good news, not just good Advice. Those things are drastically different. And because of God's grace, we see we have the resources to deal with this fact that Abraham was not righteous, but he was made righteous. One of the things, another thing that I read in preparation for this in one of the commentaries was this, this thing that Martin Luther used to write about. And it was this fact that he believed that Christians are at the same time both righteous and sinful. Both righteous and and sinful. And you know, if you're a student of the Bible, you might say, well, I, you know, wait a second, what does that mean? Because, you know, there's this, this passage in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So how do we deal with this? How does Paul deal with this? Well, he goes all the way back to Genesis 15. And he looks at this covenant that God made with Abraham. And when you read these words, God says, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abraham outside and said, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Because of his faith. 
This is how we reconcile it. We reconcile it with Abraham's faith, the grace of God, in spite of the way that Abraham lived at times. Remember in the opening message of this series, we talked about the the summary statement that that Paul gives us in Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Faith is at the heart of the gospel. And because of faith, we see that Abraham was credited with righteousness. This is how we reconcile his standing with God. It's how we reconcile our own standing with God. And we'll see that in just a moment as we get to the end of Romans chapter four. Uh, when Paul quotes, uh, when Paul, uh, sorry, when, when Paul uh, Oh, my goodness. When Paul writes in Romans 4, we'll get there eventually, I promise. I got, I got Saturday night out. I'll get you out too, okay? When Paul writes, you know, this word counted or credited to describe the righteousness that Abraham experienced, depending on your translation, what he's talking about is an accounting term. This has to do with, with finances. And it's this idea that God takes something that Abraham did not have and gives it to him. God credited something to Abraham that that was not there before. And what this means is that though Abraham was sinful, though Abraham was not righteous, God treated him as if he were. This is grace. This is justification. One of the things I remember hearing a lot growing up in church is this idea that justification is just making it just as if we had never sinned. This is not God, you know, just seeing the best in Abraham. This is not God, you know, just looking the other way when it comes to Abraham's shortfalls. This is God giving Abraham something that he did not have, something that he could never have on his own. This means that faith is not, you know, working hard and trusting that God will take care of things that you can't on your own. God does not, he doesn't meet us halfway. He doesn't say, listen, I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I know it takes time. So you just do your best and I'll take care of the rest. That's treating good news like good advice. So what is faith? You know, what is faith? Well, for our purposes today, when we're talking about this this illustration that Paul is using of Abraham uh, to talk about faith, saving faith, salvation faith, uh, I can use one word to sum it up. And I'm not saying that this is the only word that you'll ever need, but for our purposes here today, I can sum it up with one word by simply telling you that faith is trust. Trust. Not a trust in ourselves, not like I said, you know, not, not a trust that if we do our part, God will do his part. It's a trust that God has already done everything we will ever need. It's a recognition and a belief that on my own, I can do nothing. Not one single thing to make myself righteous. Not one single thing will make me right with God. It's not simply believing in God. It's not even believing in God and then trying to live a righteous life. It's trusting God with your salvation. It's as if, it's as if you could, you know, just take, you take all the trust, all the trust that you have, and you, and you lift it up and take it off of yourself and you put it on him. So it, it's not about you. I think about, 
I think about when my kids were, were smaller and, and we first started to do things like take them to the pool and go swimming. And I would always try to get them to jump off of the edge of the pool into the water where I was because I knew that they would like it. I knew that they would have fun. But there's hesitation there. You know, they're small. Uh, they don't know how to swim. Uh, when they go underwater, they don't know to hold their breath. You know, it's all these great memories you have as a parent. And uh, the reality is they would, they would stand on the edge of the pool and I would try to talk to them and try to convince them, you know, it'll be fun. I'll catch you. I won't let your head go underwater. I won't let anything bad happen to you. But at the end of the day, it didn't matter how much I, I tried to convince them. It didn't matter how much I bribed them. It didn't matter how much I threatened them. Not that I would ever threaten my kids. I'm sure you never threatened yours either. At the end of the day, it all just came down to how much they trusted me, to whether or not they trusted me. And so when I say that faith is trust, what I mean is, you know, do you trust God enough to jump? I love, I love these words from Philippians 1 verse 6. It says, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. I love that verse because it reminds me of those words in Romans 1 where it says, this is accomplished from start to finish by faith, by faith. And you might say, well, listen, you know, faith has, has got to be more than just trust. And I would say, but it's not less than that. It's not less than trust. This is because at the end of the day, it all comes down to what or who you put your trust in. And think about that. What do you put, what do you put your trust in? What do you look to for significance? What do, you, what do you have in your life that, that is something that gives you meaning? What, what do you think, what, what, what comes to mind if I say, what, what needs to happen to you in order for you to feel complete, to feel content, to feel whole? What is it? Is it a promotion? Is it reaching a certain in, income level? We, 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 we look at all sorts of different things in this world to give us what only God can. And it's so easy, it's so easy for us to slide into this pattern of putting our trust, putting weight on something that simply cannot sustain it, that cannot hold it. We go through life thinking, if I just had this, if I just had that, if I could just do this, then I'd be whole, then I'd be complete, then I would never be sad again. Nothing bad would ever happen to me if I could just do this. So this is why it's something that we have to wrestle with time and time again in our lives, day after day, because it's so easy for our faith to get out of balance. And this is just the reality. And, and sometimes it's difficult for Christians to wrestle with because, you know, we do know the Bible and, and, and we think of things like this. We think of this verse in James chapter 2, verse 26. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Listen, I, I read this great sentence. And I don't have it on the screen with me today, but I read this great sentence that I want to share with you and said, a Christian is one who stops working to be saved, not one who stops working. And again, it comes down to where you put your trust, why you do the things you do, what's your motivation. You see, God made a promise to Abraham and Abraham believed that God would fulfill that promise. And because of that belief, because of that trust, because of that faith, God credited to him as righteousness. That righteousness was an act of grace. It wasn't something that God owed Abraham it was unmerited favor, unmerited favor. 
that's why he's a great illustration of faith. From the Old Testament to the Jewish people who believed that their standing with God came down solely to the fact that they had Abraham as their father. But Paul's saying, no, that's not how it works. That's not how it worked for Abraham. That's not how it works for you. Number two, real quick, the application of faith. The application of faith. Uh, this is something that uh, we're gonna go through this quickly, but uh, there's, there's some significance here for all of us in, in our lives. You know, Paul's been explaining everything so far in this letter. Um, he uses, obviously, il- uh, the illustration of Abraham's life as a great uh, way to point to uh, God's grace and how God's uh, righteousness or God imparting righteousness works. Uh, but because of Abraham's life, we can look at this story, we can look at the story of his life, and we can see that there's lots of things that are true for us as well, things that we can apply to our own lives on a daily basis. Uh, I just want to read a couple of verses from Romans chapter 4. We didn't read them earlier. This is later in the chapter. Verses 18 and 19. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. So, The application for you and me is the same application for Abraham. You know, Abraham trusted God despite the circumstances of his life. You and I can trust God despite the circumstances of our lives. How much, how much, how much do your circumstances determine whether or not you're in a good mood or a bad mood? And listen, I know this is the reality for all of us. This is the reality for me. When it started raining today, the circumstances changed my outlook a little bit. But how much weight do you put on them? You know, what did Abraham do? He, he, he believed even when there was no reason to believe. Uh, I love the way this verse is rendered in, in the English Standard Version. In hope, he believed against hope. He believed God's promise was greater than the way things appeared. He believed in God's promise, even when things appeared pretty bad, almost 100 years old, his body as good as dead. You know, that's quite a description. Where do you need to apply this truth in your life? The second one, the second thing that Abraham did was he took God at his word, and that's what you and I can do. We can take God at his word. Romans 4.21, he was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Uh, You know, these examples of of kind of faith in action in the life of Abraham, they all center around God's promise to give him and his wife a son. So they kind of run together as far as Abraham's life is concerned, but I hope you see that there are a variety of different ways that you and I can apply these truths to our lives. Where do you need to take God at his word? I mean, when I think about this, I think back to the idea of faith being more than just trust, but not less than trust. When we take God at his word, it means we trust what he says over what others say. And listen, it's not always easy. It's not always easy and it's not always straightforward, but it's one of the reasons why it's so important and so valuable to consistently spend time in God's word, to know God's word so that we can take God at his word. The last thing that we'll look at real quick The last thing we see, well, the last thing we're gonna talk about that we see Abraham do is that he hangs on to the promise of God in spite of his own failings. And so for us, I would say that means we need to come to God when we fail. 
having the faith to come to God when we fail. You see, this is faith in action because what this is is trusting in the faithfulness of God. Do you trust God enough to run to God even when you've sinned against God? Does, it all, does everything in your life center around God? You see, there, there's, a, there's an importance here. You know, a lot of times when we do something wrong, the first instinct that we have is to hide, to pretend it didn't happen, to justify it away. But we need to come to God when we fail. See, one of the reasons that Abraham is a great example of faith for us is because he was not perfect. You know, he, he failed. There, there were times in his life when he took matters into his own hands. He put himself in situations that he had no right being in, but at the same time, his faith never died out. His faith never died out. When Paul looks at Abraham, what he does is teach those in Rome that justification, you know, being made right with God is something that happened only by the grace of God. And it's still something that only happens by the grace of God. And we can, we can apply this reality to our lives by clinging to the good news of God in spite of our own flaws, in spite of our own failures, because this is what a life of faith looks like. It means that we don't just try really hard to become a Christian. It means that we understand we put faith in Jesus and because of his sacrifice on the cross, we are made into a Christian. Our standing with God has changed. Our relationship with God has changed. I want to close by reading the last few verses in Romans 4. This is what Paul writes. This is why Abraham is an example for us. Because of what God did for Abraham, he's still doing it for you and me. It says, Paul writes, and when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him. The one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead he was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to life to make us right with God. Mm-hmm.